Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. classics and good classics i'm derek you know no matter what it seems that winter's going through we have to admit that she's living a semi-charmed type of life uh, whenever she thinks she's hit rock bottom somebody's always there to rescue her uh, and in this circumstance right when she was um about to sleep in a hotel lobby she runs into a woman that she can rob and then she gets a beep from Bullet, who she hadn't even thought of. You know, she was in pursuit of um, GS when Bullet just happened to be in the club and just happened to give her a beep and was like, I'm going to beep you when I'm ready. And just happened to beep her right as she was about to get on a bus to nowhere, a little Silver Spring, to go find Midnight, who she still knows nothing about. So we have to give credit. To her for being literally one of the luckiest bad luck people in the history of books. Like it always just falls into her lap no matter how she wants to look at it. The struggle ain't that real. With that said, let's go ahead and get started on chapter 17. If y'all have any thoughts, please don't hesitate to send me a voicemail 916-633-1537. Uh, you can also email at wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. Um, and you can uh, go to our Twitter page, which is Ratchet Book Club. All right, let's go. Chapter 17. Sunshine, heat, and palm trees. A dramatic departure from my life 12 hours ago. To say I was gassed would not be enough. It wasn't so much the scenery, although I had seen a hundred type of trees I had never seen before. It was the balls of the whole thing. This the type of life I saw myself having leaving town with no permission, warning, or limitations. This whole matter was what made Bullet so damn sexy to me at that moment. He was making the rules, maybe even breaking the rules. He was a shot caller. A man that could only react to life could never have me. A man with excuses about why he couldn't make anything happen his way could only win pity, but never respect. The airport limo delivered us to our Key West, Florida villa. The beach was a short walk away. The most noticeable thing about the villa was that everything inside was white and clean. No dingy color, not eggshell, not cream colored, but a crisp white, seemingly freshly painted place with ceramic tile floors. We only explored the villa once over for about 10 minutes. Next thing I know, a driver's taking us shopping. Now Bullet was obviously the one with the money, but he didn't push hard. He asked me where I wanted to shop. 
He walked patiently behind me as I led the way through the most fashionable departments. When I tried things on, he sat inside the dressing room despite the store's attendance objections and commented on every piece of clothing I modeled. The crazy thing is, he never had nothing bad to say about anything I selected. Yeah, that's it right there. That's the bomb, baby. You're wearing that dress. Look at them sweet thighs. Ten perfect toes. Now, when anybody seen that before? So I stretched things a little, was aware of how I stood, was stylish about undressing and did seductive things to keep him in the palm of my hand where he appeared to be. We ate dinner in a little Cuban restaurant. It wasn't an expensive looking place. In fact, it was more like a huge kitchen in somebody's house. It didn't have a vibe like a business, but the food was mad good. I was surrounded by young Cuban waiters who served me hand and foot. More than two of them waiters were given bullets props for having a fine woman. La Morena, they called me. One of the guys started talking Cuban to me, or Spanish, or whatever it was. He apologized when he realized I couldn't speak it, and explained to Bullet that I looked Cuban because of my hair, dark eyes, and skin. Unlike the jealous rage I expected to see in Bullet, he smiled, pretty teeth all exposed, like the proud holder of a $50 million lotto ticket. Now, I don't know what they put in that food besides a half pound of garlic, but they must have done some kind of voodoo on me because it made me all warm inside and real horny. Even my chest was warm and my titties felt bigger than normal and extra sensitive. When the feeling of my own titties rubbing against the cloth of my own shirt turned me on, I knew it was time to get back to the villa. We didn't have to say much. We understood each other. After bags were put away, he handed me a glass of champagne. We got nice. As the CD player pumped R. Kelly, Bully began to tongue me slow and sensuous. I ain't no punk, so I toned him back, sucking his lips and chin. He kissed me with his eyes open and kept the lights on the way that I prefer it. He unfastened my hair tie and my hair fell down. He put his hands all through my hair like he was tossing a salad. This is all you, he commented, because I didn't have no weave. The way he was all from my head, if my hair had been fake, his fingers would have been all jammed up in the strings, glue, or whatever. As he licked my collarbone, both hands exploring my shoulders and breasts, he said in a low sexual voice, You have the softest skin I've ever touched. It was live to see my roughneck turn into a house cat. Easing me out of my blouse and unstrapping my bra, he laid me back on the cold ceramic tile and my nipples puffed up and out. Undressing me totally, the cold floor sent the sensation all over my body. Your pussy smells good. He said as he buried his face in it and allowed two butterscotch lifesavers he had gotten from me to go inside of me while his tongue searched for him and sucked them out. By the time he found and got control of the melted candy, I had come twice. I couldn't control my shouting. Getting eaten out had always made me crazy. My moaning had him harder than U.S. steel, so I wrestled him over and mounted him. I tried to ride him like a prize jockey, but he wanted to dominate. Seconds later, I was butt up, face down, and we doggy style until my whole butt was filled with warm semen. In the air-conditioned villa, we sweated. Our black bodies were pressed against the white tile. As the CD played itself over again, I thought about how it couldn't be any better than this. A man, 
a solid man with loot and a luscious big dick, a champion pussy eater, and he was dedicated to my desire. I waited for someone to wake me up, but no one ever did. In the morning, we went straight to the beach. My new bikini was killing every onlooker. However, there was only a sprinkle of people out this early. Fuller was trying to teach me how to swim in the warm, clear ocean water. As I fumbled, he patiently corrected me. He tried to teach me to do the easy stuff first, like what he called the doggy paddle. He even attempted to show me how to float on my back. As my body would tense up, it would sink to the bottom. He would pull me up. Holding my wet body against his chest, we were face to face as he said, You see, the reason why you can't float is because you're not relaxed in the water. The reason you're not relaxed is because you don't trust me. You gotta trust me. I'm not going to let you down. I would never hurt you. He led me back down and talked me into a steady relaxation. After an hour or so, I could float and doggy paddle, but still, I was no swimmer. Don't worry, sexy. You'll get the hang of it after a while. I'll teach you all the tricks. You won't be able to say I didn't teach you something your father didn't already teach you. Now he might as well have hit me in the head with a brick. My body tensed up. Trying to run out of the water, I felt as though my body was going in slow motion. He caught me on the sand a couple of feet from the water. Winter! Yo! Yo! Winter! What's up? What's the matter? Why are you flipping? My anger took a jump on me and my mouth just started going. Midnight told me you was my father's enemy. That makes you my enemy. Don't even fucking mention my father. You keep his name out of your mouth. My chest was heaving in and out. My titties were easing out of my bikini top against my permission. I, I thought you understood business, Winter. I ain't got nothing against your father. I got mad respect for your pops. Your pops my motherfucking hero. I'm trying to be part of the world he built. I know you was part of the takeover. You think I'm stupid? I know what happened. How you know what happened when you wasn't even there? I didn't see you for months. I was there. Hell, your pops wasn't even there half the time. I was in the thick of it from the beginning to the end. A true soldier. What happened was business. It was bigger than your pops. If your pops wasn't who he was, it still would have happened. That's how big it was. Winter, I want you and me to have an understanding. I got mad love for you. You know how much money a nigga's losing just being out here with you for three days? Mad money. Now I got cats moving shit for me, but everybody know the money ain't gonna be all the way straight unless you there, right on top of it, watching it. I brought you out of here because I know you a classy woman. Top of the line. I know you used to the best because I seen how Santiago treated you. I knew I couldn't just throw you a pair of 10 karat gold earrings. I'd take you up to the plate out Poconos. I had to let you see that I know you're special. This ain't about ass. I can get plenty of ass. I got bitches lined up around the corner. It's about quality and style. It'll take 40 of them bitches to make one of you. They all glued together. Fake hair, fake nails, fake clothes, and high mileage. 
They ain't been raised right, so they always run their mouths too much, exposing a nigga's business, bringing a nigga down. Now you, on the other hand, you know how to act. You know how to keep your mouth shut and hold a nigga down. You proved and tested. On a bad day, you still gonna be the finest bitch in the world. You know what to wear and when to wear it. You came up in the first family. You got training. That's what I'm talking about. I'm a family man. I have to be able to concentrate. I learned that from watching Santiago. Too many bitches coming in and out. Next thing you know, your whole shit's falling apart. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah, I check for that, I said coolly. Inside, I'm like, hell yeah. He gave me enough compliments to last me six months. But I was still curious, so I asked, So, what really happened? Shaking his head from left to right, he said, Man, it's a complicated story. Are you saying you don't think I could follow the story? Are you saying you want me to trust you, but you don't want me to know what's happening around me? See? That right there, that's what I like. You got mad smarts. Bullet picked up a stick that was washed in with the tide. Not only was he going to tell me a story, he was drawing a picture in the moist sand. This is me, he said, pointing to a small stick figure. No mother, no father. They both got killed. My father was killed by the police when I was four. My mother was killed by her boyfriend when I was six. I got two relatives. My half-brother Bryce, who lived in D.C. with foster parents, and Granny. I was raised by Granny from seven years old up, right there in them Brooklyn projects. You seen Granny around our way. She's a good woman, but she got a little gambling problem. She was collecting welfare for me and blowing it all at the lotto machine. After a while, she elevated to every weekend, bus trips to Atlantic City. A nigga didn't have nothing, no food, forget clothes. You saw me, you and your little girlfriend's chit-chatting. At eight years old, I started owning my own dough. I was a lookout for rings. Now rings, he had me watching the block. All I had to do was sit on the bench and clock everything and everybody. I had a Mickey Mouse watch rings gave me. I knew when everybody left and came, who worked and who didn't. I knew when people got checks, new furniture, whatever. Back when the building had buzzers. All I had to do was stand by the wall and press the buzzer to let rings know when somebody was coming into the apartment he was in. Or I pressed the buzzer to let him know 5 was on their way up. Man, a lot of people had no love for rings, including your father. Everybody considered him a thief, and he was a thief. But I thank him to this day, may he rest in peace, because nobody took the time to teach me nothing. Rings did. He taught me patience. You have to have patience to sit out there hour after hour, day after day. That's how I peeped you, watching you every day from the bench. You always stood out like a diamond, but Santiago protected you, like a diamond. I'd sit right there in my fucked up clothes, snot running down my nose, unable to run upstairs to get a tissue, scared to miss a beat. I said to myself, I'm a getter. She gonna be mine.
I knew to get into your world, I had to work like a dog, scheme like a motherfucker. Hell, nobody was just going to let me get down just like that. I was already an outcast because I worked for rings. I didn't have no family, no connections. So I started to watch Santiago. He was my hero. He had the respect. There was something so smooth about that nigga. Even before he became boss. He was he was like a politician. All dressed up like every day was an occasion. Everybody liked his way of talking. Always thought he was able to connect with the big up whites because he's light skinned with that good hair. Them same cops he had on the payroll doing business with him were the same ones that would beat a brown nigga like me with no mercy. Now, when Santiago connected with Captain Chula at the precinct, it pulled the heat off a lot of niggas around our way. They loved him for that. I watched the block so close, so long, I knew all the police routines. I knew when a patrol car was coming around, which cop would be riding in it, when the shifts changed, everything. I could almost read the badge numbers I watched them so close. I knew who was getting payoffs and who wasn't. I mean, there may have been more cops on the payroll than I knew about, but a lot of dudes I watched knew how it was going down. Santiago made use of most niggas in the hood. He knew how to make everybody feel good. He gave a man a purpose, some money for their pockets, money for their families. But some niggas, he shut down. Like Rings, who he had no respect for, and a few of the independent dealers, and stacking them, the stick-up kids. There wasn't nothing they could do about it, though, because he had it all hemmed up. He was making it possible for so many cats to get paid that any bad talk against him was not only bad for that person's business, it was bad for their health. Next thing you know, you might turn up disappeared. About a year and a half ago, right before your family left the area, there was a crew of young heads, 13 to 16 year olds. In a surprise attack, they stuck up one of your pop spots, got away with mad cheese. Word went out on the streets of Santiago got stuck up by some kids. At the same time, Captain Chula retired. It was unexpected, but that old fuck caught a stroke. Rudolph became DA, and he started some campaign about cleaning up the drugs in the hood and busting crooked cops. On the streets, the DA's office started recruiting informants. Any available two-buck niggas signed on as a snitch with Rudolph. Meanwhile, the crooked cops panicked, tried to cover up their tracks. They started supplying protection, guns, and ammunition to the young heads, even though there were still cops on Santiago's payroll. They made it appear to the DA that there was a war between the young heads and Santiago. But without police backing, the young heads couldn't have gone heads up in a war with Santiago. Your pops got paranoid and started strong-arming niggas. He was even twisting arms of niggas that was loyal to him. Niggas who would have killed for him. Niggas that would have died for him. Without Captain Chula at the helm coordinating the cops on the inside, it was hard for Santiago to know who was who. Plus, in the shakeup, there was just too many new faces. The cops started busting more Santiago's men, but they went easy on the young heads. When Santiago moved your family out there to Long Island, there was no way for him to see how the pieces were moving. The pieces were moving too fast. Some of Santiago's men who got busted wasn't cool with him moving out of the hood. 
They looked at him like he jumped ship. With Chula out and Rudolph in, some of Santiago's other connections dried up. Even money couldn't get none of his men out of the pen. But I could dig it. Santiago had to move. Them young heads was ruthless. They was hitting whole families, players and non-players. They even 86 KK and butter. Miss Sonya's babies? Yeah. Her man got in the way, so they sent him a message. Two corpses, heads off. One three-year-old, one four-year-old, dead. But I gotta give Santiago credit. He held it down for a long time. But with the police behind the young heads, it was only a matter of time before they wiped Santiago out. When the cops working with the DA applied pressure on niggas in Santiago's crew, they started telling on each other. Once one or two started talking, that was a whole course of singers. Everybody was trying to cut a deal with the police, save their own tails. What about my mother? Who shot her? She caught a bad one. But the niggas who did that is dead. They said that's one trigger Santiago pulled himself. So what's up now? The same fucking cops get a bigger cut of the business now than they did when Santiago ran shit. They got the young heads working on a 70-30 split in their favor. That shit is crazy. Plus, they got their hands in even more areas than they had before. So the top dudes and the young heads are now trying to squeeze out the small niggas and the young heads. The ones who did the bloody work. The dicing. The slicing. The soldiers. So niggas is breaking off trying to do their own thing. Little business is springing up here and there. You know. And what about you? Where do you fit in the story? The young heads. That's not the name of your crew, is it? Captain Chula, that's not his real name either, is it? Bullish smiled. Damn you smart. It was easy to figure. Why would you tell me all this? I am Santiago's daughter. I can tell him everything you said. Bullet hung his head between his legs and mumbled. It wouldn't matter. Santiago's finished. He's a legend, but he's out of business. He's charged with everything. He even killed two niggas in the pen. He'll get life four times over. He hasn't been convicted of nothing yet. I defended him. So what do you want from me? I asked Bullet with tears for daddy in my eyes. I just want to put you back where you belong, on top. I just want to be your man from when I was broke on the bench. He smiled a seductive smile. Almost as if he was popping the question. One more thing. The Young Heads. That's the fake name for you, Slick Kid, and them, ain't it? Who, me? He smiled. I'm just a lookout. Seriously, I got me a little side hustle to turn mad big for me. I hook up all the hip-hop stars with what they need. Like, like a private doctor who's on call. I got a couple other businesses brewing. I'm about to close out business with the young heads. Niggas is too shady. They always talking about we. They call us the family. But the dividends don't spread around the family like they should. They don't want to bless the real soldiers. So I'm about to relocate. 
Oh. And bounce on me. My attitude reignited. Never that. When we get home, you just let me know where you want to rest at. We'll get an apartment, however you want it. But I gotta be able to trust you. That's the main thing. I almost killed that bitch, Saria. I could have lost everything I have now killing some lunatic bitch you lied about being pregnant with my kid. I don't want to chase behind no chick playing detective. You understand me? I checked for that. I reassured him. The next few days or so in Key West, Florida were more than cool. Bullet concentrated on learning me, my likes and dislikes. He said he wasn't going to ask me about my past because he expects every woman to lie about what she's done no matter how small it is. He made it clear over and over that everything between us starts now, today, and you belong to me from here on in. The penalty for betrayal is death, he said, with the seriousness of the cancer disease. If I catch you lying to me about anything, no matter how small, the penalty is pain. I don't know what he was so uptight about. His dick was good and his dollars were long. I had no reason to complain, cheat, or leave. There was only one thing that wasn't open and straight with him. I told him I needed to find out where my father was locked up at. He got quiet for a while as if he knew the spot, then promised with as few words as possible to help me locate him. It can't be that hard. He locked down. Now I thought about it a minute and decided maybe Bullet thought my father would be against us being together. I wasn't planning on telling Pops about me and Bullet. I just needed to see Pops to make sure he was straight, stack up his commissary, and let him know I'm still his number one and he's still mine. I didn't push it with Bullet. As far as me finding my father goes, it was non-negotiable. Hell, Pops had put 17 years of loving and taking care of Winter. That's 16 years and 361 more days than Bullet put in. As we lay on the bed in our undies, kicking our feet up, munching popcorn and watching old movies on the rented VCR, Cooley High brought back memories of our kiddiehood in Brooklyn. It was odd that me and Bullet grew up in the same place yet had different childhoods. He was telling me grungy survival stories. My stories were mostly funny. An icy cold fell over me in the villa on our last night, when our reminiscing revealed what was happening now in the place that I used to love, Brooklyn, but wouldn't be caught alive in anymore. It was Bullet who brought Simone's name up. Yeah, that crazy bitch got pregnant. She got big as a house. She went to the hospital to have her baby and came back home empty-handed. Nobody wanted to ask her mean-ass what happened. As Bullet continued talking, I didn't ask him no follow-up question on the Simone issue. It was clear that he had no idea that me and her had beef. I don't want to get an apartment in Brooklyn, I told Bullet calmly. Oh, you too big up for Brooklyn now? Nah, nothing like that. I just ain't cool with a lot of them chicks and I don't need no static. You ain't gonna have no problems. I'm holding you down now. I was thinking Lower Manhattan by the water, I told him. That dirty-ass water, he said. I cut my eyes at him. It's cool if that's what you want. I could use a little hideaway with an exclusive parking space with my name on it. Yeah, and a doorman. 
maybe a butler, some shit like that, he said, and we both laughed. Driving in from the airport, Bullet headed straight to Brooklyn. As the wheels turned silently, because I couldn't feel no bumps, I became angry and nervous. I told his ass I didn't want to stay in Brooklyn. When we got so close to my old spot that it was indisputable where we were going, I asked softly, suppressing my emotion, What are we doing here? I want you to see where I rest at. Getting loud, I said anxiously, I already know where you rest at. Bullet smiled and said, Look, sexy, it's been a long time. I'm not in the same spot. I'm one flight up from Granny. I couldn't have her making bets with my money. He peeped my reluctance. Look, tomorrow after I handle my business, we can bounce and find the crib you wanted. Ain't nothing open tonight, no how. I didn't move out the car. Oh, he laughed. Them bitches got you shook. Couldn't be. Not Winter Santiago. Nah, I ain't shook. I just don't like being caught off guard. Bullet pushed a button in between the driver's seat and the emergency brake. The brown hard covering on the island separating the driver's chair from the passenger chair opened. You tell me what you need. Whatever it is, I got it. As I peered down into the hidden well, I saw a Glock, a 9mm, a 22, and a 4-pound staring me dead in the eye. Bullet said, Now if this nigga can't make you feel safe, you choose what you need. I told you, times change. Stepping out of his Lexus coupe, I figured if I ever wanted to come back to Brooklyn, this the way it should be, in style. It was evening time. For some reason, everything in the neighborhood looked smaller than I remembered it being, and maybe a little dirtier. I saw some familiar faces, or maybe I should say, they saw me. But I didn't see Natalie, Simone, none of my girls, or my aunts. I wasn't surprised to not see them. People have the tendency to stay inside during the winter. Now, if it was summertime, there'd be more people than roaches. Crackheads were running up, begging to watch Bullet's whip that had collected dust in the airport lot. Bullet's man popped up like he was fucking valet parking. Bullet dropped the keys in his hands and he jetted off around back. His apartment was definitely a man's place. It had the necessities. A big screen TV, PlayStation, CD player, sneakers, magazines, beer cans, weed, reefer roach in the ashtrays, a dirty bathroom, no toilet paper, and nothing in the refrigerator. But it was secure. Like Santiago, Bullet had a double security door with a crack slot in the outside door about two inches wide and four inches long. A thick metal sheet could lock the slot or it could be slid open from the inside. On the table where dinner should be eaten, there was Bullet's little chemistry laboratory. I made a note of that because Santiago would have never had it there in the open like that, even with the two metal security doors. But Bullet was a bachelor. We wasn't in the crib 30 minutes before Bullet had to step out. All hyper-like, he said he couldn't wait until tomorrow to collect his shit. It was a time of the month where dumb niggas was about to be low on dough. He had to round up his boys. He tossed me to 22 and said, Here, hold this. I'll be right back. Don't answer the door no matter what. Don't even fuck with the phone. When I twisted my lips at him, he responded, It's business. 
They can all wait till I come back. Until then, nobody's home. Within minutes, I heard knocking at the door. They would come, then they would go away. To drown out the sound of the knocking, I flipped on the radio, then the TV. When I remembered nobody was supposed to be home, I turned both of them off. I started checking everything Bullet had. Don't ask me why. I just figured I had a right to. I was looking under the beds, in the closets, in drawers. Any pieces of paper I found laying around, I read. In a matter of minutes, I found five Timberland boxes filled with cash. One was filled with $1 bills, one with 10s, one's with 20s, one's with 50, and one with 100s. I put everything back the exact way I remember finding it. I didn't lift one bill. Tapping my nails on the table, I'd only been in here one hour and I was tortured by boredom. Another knock at the door. The knock soon turned to a scratch. The scratch turned to a screech. Disobeying orders because I was never one to follow, I opened the first door and stood in the darkness between the two. Placing my ear on the cold metal door, I listened for a voice. I heard what sounded like moaning. Come on, come on, I'm sorry. Where you been? I need something now. The words were coming out like a whining child. The screeching was louder too. I slid the heavy metal slot back an inch to see where the screeching was coming from. The thin lady was hunched over scratching the door with two keys. Hearing the slot open slightly, the lady raised up on her tiptoes and stuck her face to the slot. She was up so close I could only see her one bloodshot tired eye. I don't know if she was rocking on her toes or what, but small sections of her face, the left eye, the right eye, her nose, and a piece of her hairline would fall into my one inch of view and out again. When she stuck her two-toothed mouth in the slot, I saw the scar. The twisted position. The 90-pound crackhead at the door was my mother. Give me something. Give me something. I got this. She tried to stick a fake gold chain into the slot. With my finger, I pushed it out and slammed the metal slide. With my back now against the door, I slid down to my knees, then doubled over. What you doing up here? The fuck you doing up here? I told you to stop coming to my crib. I heard Bullet yelling in the hallway. Where you been? I've been looking for you, her voice said. You got no more credit with me, he said in a lower voice. Now get out of here. Quickly, I opened the next door, closed it gently, and then turned the lock. I heard her begging, but it turned to silence when I closed the last door. Bullet stuck the key in the first door, then the second. He looked at me sitting coolly in the chair. I erased all trace from my facial expression of what I had seen. You didn't answer the door, did you? Nah, I said with no emotion at all. He went in the kitchen, opened the cabinet, pulled out the cookie jar, and took out a vial of crack. You with me? He said, testing my loyalty for the umpteenth time. I nodded yes. Here. Slide this out and pass it off so I can get this crackhead off my dick. So I did. Okay, so before I get to what I actually was thinking about when I was reading it earlier in this chapter, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the fact that Winter knew that that was her mama but in her pursuit of cash, she is willing to sell rocks to her own mama. She's willing to give drugs to her mom instead of saying you need to 
help my mom be better. I need to do something for my mother. She is continuing to perpetuate the sickness that is in her mom. She's feeding her mom's illness, which makes her worse than midnight. Because midnight wouldn't sell drugs to his own mama, but winter, she knows, and there it is. I'm wondering if Bullet was giving drugs to her mom because it was Winter's mom and he thought she, he was doing her a favor. Or because it's Winter's mom and he thought this the ultimate fuck you to Santiago. Because as we found out, Bullet and Slick Kid are part of the group that toppled Santiago's whole organization. One thing that I find really funny is the fact that Santiago always talked about how he played chess so we could see all the angles and he played chess against himself and blah, blah, blah. And, woo, woo, woo. and you got to see everything, Winter. You got to be ready for when it comes. And this nigga didn't see 13-year-olds. Little bastard shot me in the ass. He didn't see 13-year-olds coming after him. He got taken down by 13-year-olds who worked with cops. If you're playing chess, and that's what I wondered, like, yo, if you're playing chess, you should be able to see the ramifications of each move you make. You should be able to see three moves ahead at least. It's not just a joke when people are like, checkmate in five. They know that if they do this in five moves, your ass is gone. Santiago couldn't have saw that if he did this, he was going to fuck over some of his own folks. Santiago couldn't have saw that the people who were actually down and low. Oh, my God. It just hit me. The young kids, the young heads. The way that Santiago reacted to them and alienated himself from his people is the same way the winter alienated herself from her homegirls one by one. Niggas that would have killed for her. Niggas who were down for her no matter what. Like father, like daughter. That's wild. And now here we are. She's under threat of abuse if she ever steps out of line. And she's like, you know what? I don't care because he ticks off all the buttons of what's important to me. A big dick and money. He he took me shopping. In, in four days, he tried to find out what I liked and didn't like, and I was in love. He's what a real nigga should be like, willing to let me lead him and use his money. And you know that he's the reason why your daddy got locked up. Literally, he said it, you said it to him. There's no secret, and yet, he's got money. Money talks, bullshit runs a marathon. Never been so disappointed in a character in a book before. But I keep feeling disappointed in Winter because I look at Winter like a kid. Like, if this was my kid, I'd be like, God damn. Let's get back on the right track here. Let's pull back a little bit. Let's take a few steps. But nope. She wasn't checking for him when he was a snotty-nosed kid, but as soon as he got money, he became attractive. She didn't know shit about him. And the more she talks, the more she should realize, but she never will because she's vapid, that she doesn't know shit about the streets. As she said, Bullet is telling stories, gritty stories of survival, and all my stories are funny.
Those two things don't work together. And Midnight told you what was going on at the club when he went to jail for beating somebody up over your ass. So no matter what this nigga says, you should know he's lying because Midnight... What? 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 Are you just... Even if you never get Midnight, which you never will and you never should... You got to remember he's speaking facts to you. The nigga sees everything. He sees every angle. And the other wild thing that hit me was the fact that there were two kids at the same time who both admire Santiago. One was taken under Santiago's wing. The other one was literally pushed out into the cold by Santiago's actions. And the retaliation that came from that, Santiago would have never saw coming. That's wild. That one little thing, that butterfly effect, that kid on the stoop. But Santiago wasn't no chess player. Everybody thinks they're smart until they get exposed for being stupid. Like Mike Tyson said, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Niggas think they're smart. I am so sincere. Niggas think they're smart until they come up against somebody who's actually smart. And then you know what those niggas do? They shut the fuck up. Niggas think they can ball until they go up against somebody who can actually ball. And then you know what them niggas do? They shut the fuck down. Niggas think that they cute until they go around niggas who are actually good looking for a living. And then they feel insecure. Santiago was in a hood where nobody ever told him, nigga, you ain't smart because he was fucking married to a girl that he impregnated when he was 14. And because he had the dope spots and because he took care of the niggas in the hood. But you know who he wasn't taking care of? The little niggas, the young niggas, the niggas who are ready to take their turn or, or take your spot and ain't waiting to take their turn. And when they came for him, you know what happened? All his niggas flipped. Ain't no love. Ain't no love. And his daughter's talking about loyalty while she flipped too. She's right there with Bullet. She knows what he did. I'm Santiago's daughter. You can't fool me. Nigga, I ain't gotta fool you. All I gotta do is he complimented me for like six minutes. He complimented me and made me feel real warm inside. He must, oh my, everything's good. It's just an empty ass game. I feel sorry for her mother. She didn't deserve none of this. Everything she, everything that's happened to her is because of another nigga's follies. Yep, y'all let me know what you think. Uh, 916-633-1537. Um, Twitter is Ratchet Book Club. Uh, email is Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Leave a five-star review wherever you listen to the show at. Y'all be good. I'll holler at you later. Peace.
intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.